0: This episode is brought to you in part by Harvest House Publishers and the new book, The Good Gift of Weakness. Discover how human weakness not only allows God's strength to shine, but it was all by His design. The Good Gift of Weakness is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum, and today my husband Sam is joining me as co-host. You may be wondering why. Well, today's guest is a pastor whose preaching and teaching we thoroughly enjoy. But beyond that, it is a tool God is using to form us to be more like Him. In the words of Sam, Tyler sees a need for discipline and practice, but realizes Holy Spirit doesn't have to abide by those practices. He is free to act in the way he desires. With that said, today we sit down with Bridgetown Church's lead pastor, Tyler Staten. We discuss prayer as an invitation to intimacy. How prayer is to risk trusting someone who might let you down, and three biblical prayers for when you're feeling dry and weary. The primary focus of our conversation today is prayer, which Tyler writes extensively about in his newest book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. As we begin, if you're a lover of books like I am, I want to invite you to a free resource, Eight Books That were influential in ways that surprised me. You can find that at graceenoughpodcast.com slash books. Good morning, Tyler, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Yes, it's early on the West Coast. And and for me, I have my husband with me today, which is totally rare. So it's just a, a wild morning over here in Raleigh. (laughs)
1: Wonderful. I'm glad it's a family affair. That's right.
0: Well, let's go ahead and jump right in. I love to ask my guests first off, share a little bit of your journey with Jesus with us, how it began. And then something you write about in your book is walking around your middle school and praying, which blows me away because in middle school, I'll be honest, the last thing I was thinking about was prayer. And so share a little bit of that with us and um, a little bit of your faith journey early on.
1: That's really what I think of as the roots of my faith. Um, I grew up going to church. My my father had a pretty dramatic conversion uh, mm. just before I was born. Um, and my mom came from generations of Christ followers. And so they, they had kind of different family histories, but beautiful families on either side. And then that, I think of that, like my dad's story as... So pivotal in mind because my life would have been drastically different had he continued on the trajectory he was on instead mm. of meeting Jesus. And so, I grew up going to church, and I grew up in the southeast, and and so you know I knew a lot of folks who went to church. I I never went to Christian school or anything like that, so I, I still was like a an anomaly to some degree. But mm-hmm. but it, I I think I grew up in an environment where it was possible to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus and then essentially live mostly like everybody else. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what I was doing. And as as you indicated, I was, well, well, I'll say this. I prayed a prayer of salvation with my mother when I was eight years old. And I sincerely meant it. It it, it, it was born out of another moment that I talk about in the book of telling a kid, a ghost story on Halloween (laughs) and it like really frightening him and (laughs) that not being my intention at all. And I can remember as an eight-year-old feeling, coming home and discussing with my mom, Mm. oh no, I hurt someone, but Mm. I wasn't trying to. What is that? Um, And so we had this whole deep dive discussion about like, the human condition when I was eight. And I sincerely prayed and then continued living like any other eight-year-old, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, when I was in middle school, I was mostly trying to flirt with girls and hope to make the basketball team. Like those were my <laughs> greatest dreams in life. And, and then um, I had a mentor. Uh, he was uh, one of the leaders within the youth ministry at the church I attended. Just issued me a simple challenge. And he said, What do you think God would do in the lives of your friends if you walked a circle around your school praying for every one of them by name every day this summer? And oh. I said, I have no idea. You know, it never occurred to me to spend every day of my summer break at the very place that I intended to avoid every day of my summer break. <laughs> and and two things happened to me that summer. I, I was intrigued by his, by what he said. I mean, there's so much more to this story, but I write it all down. But yeah. I was intrigued by that experiment, essentially, because I thought like, yeah, well, that's a way for me to see if God really is listening to me or not. Mm-hmm. And if if all of this is true, you know, I, I just realized I've I've never actually been in a situation where God could surprise me or disappoint me. I realized that when I was in middle school. And I thought, Mm -hmm. why not give him the chance, you know, Um, and what happened to me that summer that I didn't expect is that I just fell in love with Jesus. I believe that the prayer that I prayed when I was eight, I I, I embodied for the first time as a 13 year old walking at my middle school and I began to experience it. So salvation is a mysterious idea. I don't know at what point it happens. I don't necessarily think it happens at a point. I don't think that's the biblical teaching what it is, but, but I think I began to work out my salvation for the first time when I was 13. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that summer, I was no longer wondering if God was going to come through on the experiment of answering my prayers. I just knew that I, I think the greatest surprise was, oh, my word, I I really enjoy God's company Mm. and I think he enjoys mine. Wow. I want to do this to walk with him always and as close as I can. And then God did in fact, answer my prayers. Um, And the following year at school, I started a Christian outreach ministry in my public middle school, just outside Nashville, Tennessee. And it was like a horrific strategy for becoming more popular (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, or any of those other goals that i had and it was you know i always i tell in the book and i always share that I, I had no idea what i was doing truly my strategy for leading it was wednesday mornings at 6:30 a.m. which is the worst time to host anything and you know like for 12 to 14 year olds that's it's right 6:30 like, you know it was just and <laughs> and the night before i would open the bible to a random place pick a paragraph at complete <laughs> random, read it with no context or biblical understanding whatsoever, <laughs> jot down notes on a sheet of loose leaf paper of what I thought it meant, and then explain that to everyone the next morning. Like it was 100% <laughs> heresy. It had to have been. And, <laughs> and, God, and, used <laughs> and
0: God used it.
1: God used it. And I kept praying in the early mornings. Like I kept going mm-hmm. to my school early in the morning. And that's a rhythm that's never left me oh. by the end of that school year. A third of my eighth grade class had come into relationship with Jesus. That, wow. that little Christian outreach ministry that began in a math classroom was meeting in the school's theater. It was the largest extracurricular in our school of any kind. It was an absolute spectacle of wow. unexplainable power. And I have gone through ups and downs in my spiritual life since then. Like it's not just yeah. been a steady up and to the right. But the wonder that I left that year with has never left me. The, the wonder of, I am absolutely in love with walking with Jesus. Mm. And he actually wants to use my life in ways that have nothing to do with my competencies and mm-hmm. everything to do with his power. Oh. And so I want to live the rest of my life with that wide-eyed sense of wonder. And the, that's the roots of my faith. And the way that to this day, I know how to pastor a church or do ministry or whatever.
0: Yeah. Well, and we are so thankful for even what began, you know, God began in you back in those years, because it's like you said, I mean, he, he uses people who aren't competent and in so many different ways. And, and I love what you said, and I want to keep talking about it, but Sam does have a a question that he Mm -hmm. wants to ask because, well, we like to laugh a little too. So go ahead. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I thought it might be a good way to jump into it. Um, and so, with love for for the body, uh, my, one of my best friends is a pastor in uh, in Pennsylvania, and so I always get great stories from him about you know, well, we had these people come up and pray, and they got political or they got you know whatever yeah. whatever's in their uh, <laughs> their their brain. So I was curious if you had a had a good or funny story about some of the since we're talking about prayer, uh, some of the the funny prayer situations that have happened in your past.
1: Oh man. I mean, there's a number of them that begin with someone who I've never met before saying God told me to Mm -hmm. and then and then something like incredibly personal to me, like um, God told me that I'm meant to be your best friend. God told (laughs) me that, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, I, 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 am hesitant to name any of them specifically because they're really specific. So I'll name one of one of my closest friends. Yes. One of my closest friends had someone come up to him. Actually, I can just say this because he wrote it in a book, Pete Gregg. It might one
0: be one he friends. shared on the show already. Please tell us because he yeah, told did, me. Did
1: Pete Gregg tell you about the woman that said that she was meant to marry him?
0: Yes. And he yeah. was already <laughs> married,
1: wasn't he? Yeah, he's been married for decades. Yes, he shared it
0: on the show and I was oh, like rolling. He's, he's,
1: he's one of my very, very closest <laughs> friends and I love that story. So I have versions of that, nothing that intimate. It's never gotten that intimate, but but versions of that. This Even just this past Sunday, I was delivered one of those. And it's always pastorally interesting to be like, <laughs> You know, it was during a time when it's like ministry is happening. People are weeping at the front, being prayed over. The power of God's being poured out. I'm just going, how is this happening? And then someone comes to you and says something that you're like, people are crazy. God loves all people. People are crazy.
0: You're like, and that is not true, right? Like In the sense of like, whatever you just said, not from God. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
3: God is a genius storyteller Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
0: Well, on page five of Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, you write, Most of us get about knee deep in the Christian life, discover that the water feels fine, and stop there. We never swim in the depths of the divine intimacy Jesus won for us. How would you describe some of what we're missing when we stay knee deep?
1: My, my experience is that people typically relate to prayer in one of two ways. Um, and both of them are a drastic minimization or limitation mm-hmm. on what prayer is. So one would be like a a health kick almost, or, or a personal training routine or whatever, oh. where where prayer is something I do that I don't like. To get a result that I will like so so prayer is Mm. uh, going paleo so I can shave off a few pounds or paleo or prayer is, you know, eating celery when I really want a Snickers bar or whatever, because what I want it the, the result I want I'm willing to sacrifice for now but then that that frames prayer as a sacrificial act. Mm. As something that like I'm doing that's difficult, that isn't uh, ultimately gratifying to my soul um, to try to get something. And I think that that puts prayer in this frame of discomfort for the sake mm. of results. And results or answered prayers are actually just the abundant overflow of the intimacy that is prayer. Like prayer is about intimacy. And then power gets thrown in. That, that's the way that yeah. power works in the kingdom of God As power flows through love. It's first Corinthians 13 mm-hmm. is, is basically a long explanation of the fact that power flows through love. So the Holy Spirit is given to us as an advocate, as a counselor, as a comforter. All of these words are about relationship and intimacy and the Holy Spirit moves in power. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go after power, you don't get intimacy. Or if you go after answered prayer, you don't get intimacy. But if you go after intimacy, then you get everything else thrown in. Mm. Um, And then the second minimization would be like sitting down to to paint on a canvas, but only having one color. So most people have grown up in a certain tradition of the Christian faith that has taught them a way of prayer. And they Mm. think that's prayer. So depending on your tradition, it's prayer is voicing my needs and requests to God, or prayer is reciting the liturgical prayers of the saints or the Psalms. Prayer is contemplative silence. Prayer is, and and all of those are a way to pray. Mm -hmm. Um, But prayer is this like color palette. Um, Prayer is the catch-all term for communion with God. And so that is talking and it is listening. And it is being silent and still in his presence and it is journaling and it is, you you know, it's, it's, it's all of these things. And so most people find that they're a bit bored in their prayer life, the same way that you would be bored if you're trying to paint like a a landscape, but you only had red, Mm. you know, it's like, well, this is, this is only so fun, but if you have all of the colors and you're trying to bring what you're be holding onto this canvas and you have everything at your disposal to do so, then suddenly it's a creative act that you lose yourself in. And that's what prayer is meant to be.
2: Mm.
0: Well, and I love that because I feel like, and I know Sam would agree, that as we have um, listened to John Mark early on and practicing the way, and then with you and Pete Like both of our prayer lives have drastically changed um, when it comes to just imaginative prayer, um, Lectio, like the list goes on and on, silence, solitude, all of those things that we've just began to do more and let it be a part of our prayer life. I don't know what you would say, Sam, but for me, it's just opened me up to even be in communion with God all throughout the day and to not live such a segmented life. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, babe, do you have something to say to that?
2: I don't know that I have a real uh solidly formed thought. I guess I've listening to you talk about painting all with red, I'd be curious what your thoughts are about how where where do you get more colors from? Cuz it's not just, at least I would think it's not just methods of prayer, right? It's not just contemplative silence or requests and gratitude. It's all those things, but we also need a lot of other stuff thrown in, right? Like we need scripture in our lives and we need those things to be part of the interaction, right? Would you maybe comment on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think the the devotional reading of scripture is meant to be a springboard to prayer. So my Mm -hmm. prayer life every day begins with, it it happened this morning already, Jesus, I hear you talking to me about. Mm -hmm. And that's because I read Psalm 31 and then John 4. And I just noticed the things in two familiar passages in the Bible that I felt were... You know, depending on your tradition, God's speaking to me through or stuck out to me or whatever (laughs) term you use. And so then I just take that as God's first word to me. And then I start interacting with him about it. God here today, I I hear you talking to me about, Mm. and I think that that is pointed at this part of my life. And so I want to hold it before you right now and, and say, here's what I hear you saying so far. Here's how I think I'm meant to live in step with your voice. And I want you to keep talking to me about this, um, mm. you know that that kind of thing. So I, I think prayer starts there as a response to Scripture, and then and, and the Psalms are the most helpful part of the Bible in this because they are prayers, yeah. and the Psalms teach us how to pray. So I I read a Psalm first every morning, and the way that I do it is I stay in the same Psalm for a week, so I read the same Psalm seven days, and and I read it. Until I recently heard someone say this, and it gave language to the way that I read the Psalms. I read them till I hear my voice. And then there's a line that's like, Ooh, that's that, like, took something that's in my soul and put it in my mouth. And uh-huh. so then I began to talk to God about that. And, and the Psalms teach us how to pray because they have a lot of praise to mm-hmm. God, they have a lot of request, they have a lot of complaint,
2: mm-hmm. they have a lot
1: of circumstantial discomfort, they have a lot of anger. It's like the gamut of human emotion uh, is captured in the Psalms. And we, most people that I have interacted with tend to come to prayer more, more like put on and well prepared. Like we tell God what we think God would like to hear from us rather than relate to him like, the person who knows us from the inside out in any way, and actually knows me better than I know myself. And often I'm trying to let God show me what's in me yes. um, instead, instead of like, tell him what I hope he thinks is in me. Um, <laughs> and then the second thing I would say, Sam, is then added to practices rooted in scripture and talking to God about that interaction. You have to stretch yourself into different practices, which always, Feel uncomfortable before they before they become a new color on the palette, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe a better illustration for this would be like food, like like as we grow up, my yes. kids love cheese quesadillas, <laughs> but when I go <laughs> yes to a Mexican restaurant, I never order the cheese quesadilla because I'm, I'm brother. like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, guys, do you know about fajitas <laughs> like, or or you know? And but but the thing is, is like you have to. The first time you taste a bell pepper, you're like, I ah, just I want the cheese quesadilla. This doesn't taste very mm-hmm. good. It's, it's got, a, you know, but but then your taste buds mature, and you begin to crave this broader range of flavor. Right. And and we have to allow prayer to do that to us as well. So if you begin a practice of daily sitting in contemplative silence for two minutes, uh, it won't feel good. Nope. Yep. for an extended period of time, yep. and then it will become so sacred that you can't imagine how you ever prayed without it. Yep. Yes. And so I would just say, like, you also have to entrust yourself to God. You have to surrender control over your own spiritual formation mm. and say, okay, God, I'm going to give you some silence. It's okay if you do nothing with it. It is just an offering to you. And over the course of time, it could be today or it could be over the next year, but over the course of time, will you take this and make it a place of encounter? And then the final thing that happens is when you begin to experience God in these different practices, then what Amber was saying begins to occur where your whole life becomes a prayer. Mm-hmm. So my, my most profound moments of prayer are all accidental, but I do have a very intentional morning, midday, and evening prayer practice. But all it does is is keeps my eyes open to God in, in a variety of ways all throughout the day. And then I find myself, like last night, I sat in conversation with my wife and what she was sharing with me. I was able to like connect with God in a way that I wasn't saying out loud to her or anything, but it made like a sitting up a little bit too late conversation with her into me, her and Jesus are in this room together right now. And that's true all of the time. That's John chapter one. Like the true light has come into the world, but the world did not recognize him. But to those who did uh, Mm. receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the the tragedy and the miracle of the incarnation is that God has made himself of like, he's put himself in our midst. And yet sometimes even those who, who know the scriptures the best, struggle to recognize him.
2: Mm.
0: I could um, go several directions with that, but I want to go to the Psalms because it never fails when I encourage people to purely be honest with God, to really come before him with just open honesty, bravely. Um, And when I, you know, they go from this blank stare to this nodding of head until I say, you know, David said things like the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But he also said, you know, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Um, why, why is it that you think people really struggle to be honest with God to, like you said earlier, come to them all put together and act like they're telling him something that he doesn't already know? Like, have you seen why you think people do that? Have you seen people really shift in how they interact with God as they've began to develop a daily practice?
1: Yes. I mean, definitely. I've seen the shift, watched it pastorally in the community that I led in Brooklyn and now at Bridgetown here in Portland. And it is, it, it it is the most beautiful sight to behold because the romance for lack of a better term, of prayer comes alive when people start being honest with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and they feel they begin to be wooed by him and like smitten with him. Ah. And 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 but why don't they, you know, gosh, I don't know. I I can look into my own soul to try to answer that because it took me a long time to to learn, and I, I'm still learning every day. Yeah. To be honest with God, I prayed this morning and it took me a while to get through the clutter to, mm. to discover like, what, what am I bringing to him in my naked self to use the mm. Genesis imagery? And I would say for me, it's probably because I really, really like to be thought well of mm. because in every other environment of my life, I'm culturally trained to present. Yeah. We all like we interact on internet profiles where we present our best self. Yeah, it, it, And this isn't bad, actually. It just is. Like we learn a way of being where we're having a horrific day, and then we see someone and say, "Hey, how's it going?" You know we, like we just mm-hmm. learn to put on mm-hmm. a pres- a presentable self. Yeah. And, that, and in some ways, like I said, it's not bad. It's just neutral. Like it would, in some ways, life would be much more difficult if everyone just like emotionally unloaded every well, time you thought. Absolutely. Saw them. You know, so, so it's, it, this isn't a cultural critique. I think I'm just naming, you know, so many things about the way that the world works are counter to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's because. All like the very soil has been corrupted by sin, and so the air that we breathe is steeped in a distortion of the way we were made to relate to God and each other.
0: Well, and is it do you ever feel like, too, though, it's a lack of people feel like they're not being quote unquote reverent to God? Like, I feel like sometimes it's even what we receive in church culture, like, it's a lack of reverence where I'm like, no. You can be reverent and be honest.
1: Yeah. And you know, you can swing the pendulum too far as well. Mm-hmm. Like the thing you'll notice about David in the Psalms is he praises God more than I hear basically anyone yes. in their prayers. And he says, I mean, just to be completely honest, there are heretical things in the Psalms, like things that are out of line yeah. with the story of Scripture that david says to god in his biblical prayers (laughs) and so the question we have to ask is how on earth did those get preserved in the bible um and and the answer is because they teach us how to pray so when we pray we have to praise god because that puts us in touch with a truer reality than the one that we're facing in our circumstances so what i fundamentally believe as a follower of jesus is that there's an invisible kingdom called the kingdom of God that's invading the one that I can see. And Mm. that the way that my circumstances affect me day in and day out is not the truest thing about me or the world. Mm. And that doesn't mean that my circumstances or emotions don't matter. They do. But it means that unless they are framed in the truest reality, which is the kingdom of God, that is the only one that will last then they are distorting the way that I see reality. So Mm -hmm. when I praise God, I'm getting in touch with the truest reality so that the anxiety I feel about uh, the the teaching that I'm going to do Friday night, it it becomes framed within Mm -hmm. this identity I've been given by Jesus the sure victory that he's won on my behalf, the grace that he lavishes me in all the time, the weakness by which he pours out his power, the like, s- suddenly that doesn't necessarily take anxiety away, but it reframes anxiety and puts it in its proper place. So that's why we praise God. And then we're honest with God, um, because if we're not, then we actually don't get uh, like his kingdom can't get to my anxiety. If I don't mm. just name it and name what I want him to do and name maybe my disappointment with his slowness to get it done or something yes. like that, if, if we're not naming those things to God, then it's almost like we're not closing the gap between his kingdom and my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're doing when we pray those two ways, when we praise. And then when we pray honesty, we're just closing the gap.
0: Well, and the honesty part too comes in with, I think about relationship. You were talking about your wife earlier and even with Sam, like when we're not being honest with one another, um, not disrespectful, that's not what I'm saying, but honest with one another, there is a lack of intimacy. And that's what you're talking about through prayer. Like prayer is more about intimacy with God than it is answers. And so how can you have intimacy if there's not honesty?
1: Yeah, you can't.
0: (laughs) That's right. You can't. Yeah. Sam, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I guess to that, an intimacy like that only happens at five thirty in the morning. There's no staying up <laughs> late with this one, by the way. Uh, that's what
0: you were saying. You were saying that about your wife, and I'm like, oh, that sounds that, like our five p.m. conversations. I uh, can't stay up past like nine o'clock.
1: Yeah, neither so I can I. It. That's why I was. That's why I was praising God. I was. <laughs> I was struggling, and then it was amazing.
0: But is your wife an early bird too, or no? No. See, that's no. the thing. I realize that it really is a gift in our life because he and I both are early birds. Because I sometimes think, would we ever have a conversation if we didn't? Because I literally am falling asleep with the kids at like 8 30 at night.
1: Yep. <laughs> All the time.
2: So yeah, uh, Tyler, and I think you kind of spoke to this already, but for the chronically religious, uh, what what guidance would you offer when prayer becomes a chore?
1: Mm. Instead of a joy? That's the rest of the question. I guess I left off some of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think some of the things that we've already talked about, I, I would say, number one, begin to talk to God about that reality.
2: Mm.
1: It's kind of like, again, the Holy Spirit is called a counselor by Jesus on the final night of his life repeatedly. Um, so if if a relationship is feeling like work without joy, then mm. you go to a counselor. And you talk about that. That's how you try to pursue healing in a relationship. Mm. And so I think you have to invite the Holy Spirit to become the counselor between in the space between you and the father, you know, and say, hey, God, I, I don't like this. I'm not enjoying time with you. It feels like work. And then you need to begin to articulate the why you know, why is this feeling like a chore in the same way that you would in any other relationship? Because if you can't define like this relationship doesn't feel good to me, then you also can't experience healing because what what is the party on the other side supposed to do with that uh, other than guess? Um, and, and so, so much of our praying is for us, not God. You know, so much of it is As I talk with God about this, the counselor that is the Holy Spirit begins to show me myself and show me this is why prayer feels like a chore to me. But it is the it is in the active conversation, the trying um, that the like showing up with God that that gets unveiled. And then the second thing I would say is you should dive into some practices that feel like Mm -hmm. a stretch to you in prayer, um, because you just might be painting with a single color, mm-hmm. and remember that those practices will hurt before they help, mm. and, and hurt not like weaken your prayer life; like they just won't feel good. That's
0: yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, and something else in that you do write about is pray is to risk trusting someone who might let you down, and I do think that that particularly people who maybe have come from a family setting or a relationship setting where they've been really disappointed. They struggle with that trust aspect of prayer. Dig into that a little bit for us, because you write beautifully about it in the book.
1: Hmm. I think what I would say is I hear a lot of prayers that I'm like, I don't know if you would have any idea if God answers that or not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like it, it feels almost like you're covering for him while you're asking him, oh, you know, like, yeah. God, please do this. But if you don't, it's okay. Your your will mm-hmm. is better than my will. And, y- you know, or just like the, the vague request of, you know, God provide for da da da, but it's it just, we keep things in vague terms. And I think often the truth is sometimes that's like a really beautiful, theologically rich way of making a request. Um, and only the, the person praying knows where the prayer is coming from, you know, but sometimes it's protecting myself from disappointment mm-hmm. because prayer is both the place of greatest wonder and love and the place of greatest pain. If you truly walk with Jesus in prayer in this, because again, just to come back to the, it, it is a relationship. So the people that are closest to me have the greatest ability to delight me, to love me and to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will inevitably my, I can, Hear my children upstairs waking up. And over the course of my life, my children will delight me more than anyone ever will and will hurt me
2: mm-hmm.
1: more than anyone ever will. And that's what I'm signing up for. And, and that's what we're signing up for in relationship with God as well. So So I think there's that. And then the second thing that I think is really important is that biblically this is something i've noticed if if you read the prayers that are in the new testament primarily the prayers of paul the prayers of jesus the prayers of the apostle john in his letters that biblically people tend to pray promises not problems
2: mm-hmm. but
1: experientially people pray problems far more than promises so what i mean by that is if you read like paul's prayer at the center of ephesians in ephesians mm-hmm. 3 you know he's praying All these things Jesus promises, like God's love poured into our hearts, feeling empowered and abundantly alive by his spirit. He's he's praying those down into his heart while in prison and the hearts of the people that he is coming before God on behalf of in, in the early church. And almost always, the unconscious starting place of the modern person in prayer is problem. You know, it's mm-hmm. God, here's the thing that is bothering me today. Here's the, and and I think one one way that I think we should reframe our prayers, and it might feel risky, is to pray God's promises back to him and saying, God, make good on your promises in my life today, as opposed to telling God how to get done what we want him to get done. God, Mm -hmm. remove this problem from me Uh, because Jesus promises. He says in this world, you will have trouble. You know, so the problem with praying problems is that there's another one coming right around the corner, even if God answers the prayer. But if we ask for his promises to become more real to us, then his promises reframe our problems Yeah. as we continue to interact with them. And in fact, this is how we see Moses praying. Moses in Exodus uh, 33 says that like, he essentially reminds God of God's character and then says, get this done. You know, God, you said by your own self. That's right. And then, and then, so he's reminding God of who he is and saying, now show me who you are in my life in the midst of these circumstances today.
0: I want to pause here to say what you don't hear or see is Tyler's children calmly interrupting him during our conversation because several members of his family were ill, including his wife. It was a sweet and might I say real life encounter that you will hear us reference as we close out our conversation.
2: All right, so last thing, just so you can get to changing a diaper, which I don't miss. Uh, <laughs> when you're feeling dry and tired, what prayers, mantras, or practices do you engage in to reset?
1: Mm. You know, for me, I think it's less about certain practices, and maybe mantras is the right word, but the language I always use is um, like where I'm finding myself in the story. And what I mean Mm -hmm. by that is like, where in the biblical story does my today experience, where is it grounded or rooted? And so when I'm feeling dry or tired, I think there's three prayers that I often pray. One is the prayer that you hear again and again in the Psalms, awake my soul, by which I understand to mean, God, my soul is weary. It is caked under the exhaustion of my body, the overwhelming nature of my circumstances, the emotions that are running wild in my internal world. Mm-hmm. But my soul is like the source of my truest person and the place that passion and love and hope all live. So I pray, awake my soul, like God, draw my soul to the surface like pull it through all these other things so that I can pray to you and live today from my soul and not from my weariness or my emotional world or that kind of thing. A second prayer that I often pray is, Jesus, give me your bread. Because of that theme, particularly in John's gospel, where Jesus talks about, you know, the bread that he has, it satisfies, you know, he says, you know, when his disciples come back to the woman at the well, I've got bread you don't know about. And they're like, what? Someone bring him lunch. And he says, no, my bread is through the will of my father who's in heaven. And so I kind of have this image of Jesus meeting me throughout the day in unexpected moments with this kind of sustenance that satisfies and enlivens me. You know, like I often, find it helpful for myself to differentiate between living bread and earthly bread Mm -hmm. earthly bread is in, is indulgence. So when we're tired, I want indulgence. This is why I pray this prayer. I want indulgence. I want like time off with my favorite food and vegging out and you know, that kind of thing. But there's a deeper desire in me. That's like, I want living bread. Mm -hmm. I want you to meet me, Jesus. And I want you to satisfy my deepest longings and bring me to life. Um, And then finally, I pray the prayer of the woman at the well, actually, like, sir, give me some of this water. Um, It's interesting that the woman at the well is juxtaposed with Nicodemus. Jesus says almost the same things to each of them. And it's John 3, then John 4. And Jesus says to Nicodemus something along the lines of like, You know, you speak of what you don't know, I speak of what I do know. And he says the same thing to the woman at the well. But Nicodemus responds by trying to unfold or untangle the riddle of what Jesus is saying. And the woman responds just by saying, like, give me some of that water. Mm. (laughs) If that's what you've got, I want to taste it. Yeah. And so I often just feel this invitation just to be like the woman at the well and say, I don't deserve for you to answer this prayer. I am like the woman who circumstantially is victimized and probably has made some bad choices and da, 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 like I am a conundrum of mixed motives and bad decisions and collateral damage of the circumstances around me. And yet, if you are next to this well with me, I want living water today. And so I, I prayed that this morning because I feel quite weary right now. And I said, here's what living water would taste like me to me today, Lord. Um, and I just named a couple of things. So when I'm feeling dry and weary, I, I find myself in one of those three places and Mm -hmm. awake my soul or give me the bread that satisfies, or sir, I would like some of that water.
2: Awesome.
0: Well, Tyler, we are so grateful, um, that you're using the gifts that God has given you uh, for this time and, um, that we get to listen to you preach the word of God and just teach it. Thank you for doing that and doing it faithfully.
1: It's been really fun to talk with you guys. Thank you for being so disarming and fun.
0: Sam and I are both incredibly grateful for this conversation, and we hope you are too. If it expanded your prayer ideas, will you share it with a friend? And don't forget to grab the list of eight books that were influential in ways that surprised me at graceenoughpodcast.com slash books.
2: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.